Let's pray one more time as we prepare to hear, prepare our hearts to hear the word of God uh, speaks to us this morning. Father, uh, we thank you and we need you to superintend our time in the word together. We need you to speak to us. I pray, Lord, that you would um, take this uh, broken vessel of a man who is speaking your truth and make it just your truth and um, remove anything that's distracting um, in what I might say that we might hear clearly what it is that the Lord speaks to us through his word this morning. And we will give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need a Bible and you'd like to follow along, your hand in the air, we will get one to you. If you do not own one and this one comes into your hand, you may keep it. That's what it is for. Uh, if you do have one, you just didn't bring it, give it back because we gave it to somebody who doesn't need it. So. Well, back on April 7th, 1986, there was this young guy and he traveled to San Diego from Portland. And he's, as he lands in the airport in San Diego, he's met by this large African-American man. Like he's never seen a guy this big in his life. And this guy seems super angry. And he's yelling and screaming at this young man everything that he's supposed to do next. And complaints. It was not an optional thing. It was not optional to comply. This big African-American guy also seemed to own everything. Get out of my terminal. Get on my bus. Get off my bus. Put your feet on my yellow footprints. Get your face on my pigment. This was not the world I was from. I think someone made a mistake. I, I think someone sent me to the wrong place. But like I said, compliance did not seem at all like it was optional. <laughs> then it dawned on me in a really, really loud voice. You are no longer going to get help from your mama. <laughs> So while I would like a, a citizen, any other citizen, in the next 13 weeks, I was being oriented to the reality that I was not my own, that I was now a U.S. Marine. Amen. Yeah. Well, what a rude awakening that was. I thought I knew who I was. I thought I knew where I belonged. I thought I knew where my help might come from. But... I had other plans. I needed to be reoriented into this new life, this life that was to be. Let us read 1 Peter, beginning in verse 1, and we will read through verse 13 this morning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise 
and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God. Amen. Amen. So, as an outline of this text, I've outlined it this way. From Peter to the elect exiles, verse 1. Who I am and who you are. Verse 2. Who you are to be has been accomplished. Verses 3 through 5. Your salvation has been accomplished. Verses 6 through 9, rejoice in living hope. Verses 10 through 12, it was prepared for you long ago. And verse 13, therefore prepare. Therefore you prepare. So, who I am and who you are. As we look back at verses 1 and 2 together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. He says, I am Peter. You know, you remember Peter, the rough and tumble fisherman who cut off the piece of the centurion's ear? You know, that guy who denied Christ three times? Yeah, it's me. And I am writing to you as one, an apostle sent sent out, set apart for Jesus Christ. This letter is for all of you, all of you who have been exiled from the world, alienated from your families, and dispersed throughout Asia Minor, living a life of rejection. That's who he's writing this letter to. This is who you are now. This is, this is the reality of this situation. But he tells them, in verse 2, who you are to be has been accomplished. I want us to notice verse 2 again. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, he says, who you are, who you are to be, it has been accomplished. Who you are to be has been accomplished in Christ by the foreknowledge of God. You have been elected by God in eternity past for a certain heavenly future. Your sanctification in the Spirit, that is your complete work of God, was foreknown of Him. The completion of your transformation and who you are to become in the Spirit is foreknown, and it has been accomplished. Your obedience to Christ is foreknown of God. Your complete obedience. Now, think about this. Your blamelessness in Christ 
by his blood is foreknown of God. So he's telling him, what you are yet to become is already accomplished. Amen. Praise the Lord. That is good news. Let's read verses 3 through 5 together. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, he says to these who are dispersed, to these who are exiles in this world, these who are now foreigners and outcasts and they've been separated from family and everywhere they go, they're, they're underneath this persecution for who it is that they believe in, who it is that they follow. They are now dispersed and, and cast out. And everywhere they go, that's going to be the case. Because this is not your home, right? So he tells them here, he says, your salvation has already been accomplished. You have been given a new life. You have been given a new position in Christ. You have been reoriented toward the worship of God and away from the satisfaction of life toward the life that God has accomplished for you in Christ Jesus. You see, he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused you, he has caused us to be born again. You see, you were born to one life and he has surely made you born again to a new life. And now, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are living already the life in surety of the resurrection life to come for you. Because of Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead, you live now in the surety of your own resurrection from the dead. And this inheritance that you are about to receive, that you have received, that is accomplished for you, this inheritance is imperishable. It is undying. It is undefiled. It is unfading. It cannot and will not lessen in any way. The surety of the life to come that is kept in heaven for you, guarded by God's power through sustained faith in Christ, is already and completed salvation. God has made this salvation ready for you to be revealed to you at his coming. You cannot lose this salvation because you are not the one keeping it. Notice what he says in this text, that it is kept in heaven for you, guarded by God's power, ready to be revealed. So who holds our salvation? Is our salvation complete and sure? That's what this text seems to indicate to us, right? That it is sure. You cannot lose this because you're not the one keeping it. Your great treasure cannot be diminished by you, cannot be diminished by your circumstances, cannot be diminished by your enemies, or anything else. Because it has been guarded, sealed by God, ready to be revealed in the last time. The already hope that we live in is far greater, he says, than any treasure that we find in this not yet time of our exile here on earth. See, there's the tension, isn't it? It's already and not yet. Amen. It's already and not yet. Sometimes we focus on the not yet. But it's already. And that's what he's telling The already, it has been accomplished. It is sure. The salvation is guarded. It is protected. God has it. 
It's in his heavenly place. And there's a time that he has appointed to reveal it to you. And he surely will reveal it to you. You can't lose it. You can't mess it up. It won't be tainted. It won't fade. Your enemies can't do it to you. You can't do it to yourself. Because it is God who saved you. Because you were born again to a living hope. You've been reoriented. A complete reorientation. He didn't just make you a new nice person. He made you a whole brand new person. He didn't just say start being nicer to each other. You're new. I made you new. The salvation is mine. I'm keeping it for you. It's guaranteed. It is guaranteed. Let's look at 6 through 9. Because here comes the, the part of the tension that's really, really tough. Here's the tension that's tough. In the not yet. But he tells him this. He says, in this, that is what we've just previously talked about, right? Is there any other thing besides that that we could rejoice in so fully? That it has been accomplished, that salvation is sure it's kept in heaven, it's not kept by me. It will not fade, it is imperishable, it is undefiable, that God has it. There's nothing more that we should rejoice in, right? And he tells him here, verse 6 is the transition, he tells him, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, here he tells them that there's this dual reality that happens in the time of our exile. I don't know about you, but do you guys feel at all that you're in exile, that you're a foreigner in a foreign land? That when you proclaim Christ, that you definitely sense that I, <laughs> this is not my home. I do not belong here. I, I harken back to that time when I get off the plane and here's this guy screaming, this guy, I'm not here, this is not for me. This is not my home. There's this dual reality that you will be grieved by your circumstances. I don't want to lessen our grieving because we will be grieved by the circumstances that we come up, that come about in this life. You will be grieved by persecutions for righteousness' sake. Yet, remember, you have been born again. You've been born again to a living hope, a living surety, bought with the precious blood of Christ. So that having been tested by fire, your faith will prove genuine. Your genuine faith is more to be treasured than any worldly gem that will perish. Our worldly gems, the things that we might seek in the here and now to comfort us in our persecutions. That's often what we do. We know the persecution is coming and we have, there's better yet. And that my salvation is sure. But can I cling on to the things of this life that seem to bring me comfort? When I'm not in my home, when I'm in my exile, the things that grieve me, I look for comfort in other places. I look for those things, and I treasure them. But he says this, your genuine faith is more to be treasured than any worldly gem. Any worldly thing that we hang on to, it will perish. It will become defiled, and it will fade. This genuine faith will result in praise and glory and honor to Christ when he reveals himself. 
There's a comfort there in that those that are opposed to the life that we live and the Jesus that we proclaim now, when He appears, when He brings our salvation about, our genuine faith will declare to Him the truth of all that we have believed in, in this in our time during the exile, right? He says here, this genuine faith is going to result in praise and glory and honor to Christ when He reveals Himself. The world will no longer declare your faith in Christ as foolishness. It will no longer declare your faith in Christ as a crutch that you leaned on in weakness. Even though right now, he says, your circumstances don't line up with the hope you live in, though you have not seen him as an eyewitness to the resurrection, in living hope you now love him. Though you don't see him in your trials and troubles, you believe in him. And you rejoice with a joy that mere words cannot express. He tells them, you have obtained the outcome of your faith, your salvation. This is the tension that we live in, the already and the not yet. The life we live by faith, though, we live in the already because it is our sure hope. It is surely done. It is surely accomplished. As we look at verses 10 through 12, we see that this was prepared for us a long time ago. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. The prophets of old told of this grace that was to be yours. They longed to know of the time of Christ's suffering and his subsequent glory. See, in Christ, like us and like our situation, suffering comes in this life to the glory of the next. This is the order of things, Peter might say. You've been reoriented. You've been reoriented to live in the already, not yet, for the glory that is sure to come. Remember last week as we talked about the resurrection, as we were celebrating Jesus' resurrection, we looked at 1 Corinthians 15, 42 and 43. He says in this text, I'm going to read it again because I think it's important to get this. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And then 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not yet, but already. <laughs> right? Because he's speaking of these things. It is this. And it is that. He tells us in these texts, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. He's making these comparisons, but they're both, they're exactly true. It, it has been accomplished. The greatness of Christ is that as we put our faith in him today, it has been accomplished. That is our hope. That's what we live in. We don't hope as the world hopes. The world hopes that something may happen. Our hope is it has happened. I live in hope. I don't see it. But even though I don't see it, I love him. I don't see it, 
But even though I don't see it, I believe in Him. I trust in Him. But that's not of my own doing. That is because back where we started, we've been born again to a new reorientation, a complete different view of the world. We've been born again to this living hope, guarded by the power of God through faith, a faith that He has given us in His name. Amen? Amen. Amen. So now we get to the therefore, and we always have to wonder what the therefore is there for, right? Because He's given us this instructions and this truth, and then He tells us, I love that this, this, this chapter sort of outlines itself. It gives you the what, and then it gives you the application right afterwards. <laughs> um, Makes it easier to look at, right? To study and to find. So we look at verse 13. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, Therefore, prepare your mind for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. The things of the world, our sin, others' sin, the spiritual battle we are in keep us focused in our minds sometimes on the earth, earthly things. Like the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, when we live in the reality of the already in Christ, our minds then become set on the things of our sure hope, the things that our sure hope has convinced us of. If then you have been raised with Christ, he says, seek the things that are above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is, I want us to pay attention, is hidden with Christ in God. Then he follows in verse 4 with, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So here's the declaration. I am already dead. I am already dead. Yet, I walk in the reality of the hope that is surely to come. The reality that Christ is my life now and will appear. God has reoriented us toward the things that are above. We must prepare, because he's talking about preparedness. We must prepare to actively live in that reality, even though our circumstances will quite often be contrary. So what do we know? Here's what we know. I can summarize the whole message in, 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 a, in a Paul-type sentence that runs on forever. In a Paul-type one-sentence thing. Your salvation has been accomplished. According to the foreknowledge of God, according to His great mercy, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ kept in heaven for you, ready to be revealed in the last time. Your genuine faith will result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. We have been reoriented to a new hope. My question this morning is, do you know that hope? Great love for Christ is what we feel we feel a great love for Christ because one who first loved us and his great love rescued us. His great love rescued us and gave us a sure and living hope. We've been reoriented not to being nice people, but we've been 
reoriented to a new, sure hope and to a new, sure love. We love differently because of what Christ has done. So, my next question for us is, do you know that love? That although you do not see him, do you love him? Although circumstances are contrary, do you believe him? Do you trust him? So then we get to the end of this and we say, therefore, so what, now what? Well, I'd ask us again to think about this. How might you prepare your mind to live in the already reality of the hope of what is yet to come? How do we reorient? How do we prepare our minds for action to think about and think on the already reality of the hope of what is yet to come by faith? I would challenge us to say that it is one by the word of God. Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. So another question I might ask us is, will you commit to prepare your minds for the battle over your mind? There's a battle over your mind to keep you focused on the here and now. You do battle in your mind by preparing to hear in the word of God the truth of the already the truth of what Christ has accomplished for us, that we can live in that sure hope of our salvation, will you commit to prepare your minds for that battle? And then secondly, I think that the, the, the preparation of our mind, our being so reminded, it also comes through each other. This also comes through the body of Christ. As we talked about this morning in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. See what he says at the end of that? All the more. Why do you think we need to gather? I think we need to encourage each other. We need to encourage each other and tell each other the truth. Tell each other this. Your salvation is secure. Amen. Who Christ has transformed you into being this new life, it is accomplished. Your salvation is complete. Your sanctification in Christ is complete. The shed blood of Jesus Christ for you, for the sins you have made in the past, the ones you are sinning in today, and the ones that you may sin in the future, the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ was sufficient for all of that. But we need each other to remind each other of that reality, don't we? Amen. How often do we forget it? How often do I forget that Amen. that is indeed true? So I ask of us again as a body, will you commit to the body of Christ for mutual encouragement? To live in the reality of the already, and especially as the day of Christ's return draws near. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you. Uh, for this body that we can gather together. I thank you for the surety of our salvation in Jesus Christ. I thank you for the surety that what it is that you have made me to become this new person, it will be complete. That it has been completed. And that you are holding that in heaven, waiting for the day to reveal it to me. 
fully, that I will see it face to face. That as you reveal yourself to me, I will know you. I will be known of you. I praise you, Father, for that truth. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. amen.